Thanks for joining us on episode 1216 of the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. I'm Maggie Perrotten. I challenge you to invest in yourself, invest in others, develop your influence, and impact the world by using your time, your talent, and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to dream, plan, and do is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is listen to this, the Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Nader. I look at it as a skill and as a muscle and that you can learn it and you can grow it and that it never actually like growing it never stops because you can be confident in one thing and not necessarily confident in the other thing. And Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. In today's interview with Maggie Periton, I asked Maggie to share with you her journey from Poland to Canada. Maggie also shares how her journey from living under a communist regime to living in Canada has changed her, and Maggie shares with you how this led her to working with others on their confidence. One reason I like to bring you great interviews like the one you're going to hear today is because of the power in learning from others. Another great way to learn from others is through reading books. But if you're like most people today, you find it hard to find the time to sit down and read. And that's why today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Go to inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to sign up and you can get a 30-day free trial. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from, and instead of reading, you can listen your way to learn from some of the greatest minds out there. That's inspiredstewardship.com slash audible to get your free trial and listen to great books the same way you're listening to this podcast. Maggie Periton lives in Canada in the Toronto area with her blended family and four kids. She is a self-development geek, loves nature, traveling, and good food. She holds an executive MBA from Jack Welch Management Institute and has over 14 years of experience in various corporate leadership positions. As an international business and leadership coach, Maggie helps service-based entrepreneurs make the income they want in their business and become outstanding leaders in the process. Through her dream, plan, do coaching model, she supports her clients in becoming confident CEOs by aligning their mindset, business skills, and high-performance habits. This allows them to transform their business from an unreliable source of income to a client-attracting diamond. Welcome to the show, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you, Scott, for having me. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. As we get started, one of the things that I mentioned in the intro is you're living in Toronto, Canada now, but you have a little bit of an interesting journey that, that brought you there Would you mind sharing a little bit about the journey from living and growing up in Poland to now what brought you over to Canada? Yeah, yeah. So I do live in Canada and I am dual citizen by now, Polish, Canadian. 
but I was born and raised in Poland. And I'm probably like the last generation that actually remembers anything from a communist regime, because even my sister, who is five years younger, she was too young to remember anything. So yes, I grew up in Poland. I was, I think, 11, 11 when the communist regime collapsed. And what brought me to Canada is, so when the communist regime collapsed, of course, Poland started going through a lot of changes in the economy and so on. And when I finished my university, I did a master's degree in international relations and a little bit of European Union. But at that time, Poland wasn't here in the European Union yet. And I started working and I had this dream of traveling and having a home or buying a house and so on. And I started working and I was making like $300 a month, <laughs> working very hard. And Poland is not that much cheaper than North America. And it was lucky and blessed that I actually had jobs because at that time, the unemployment was about 20%. I was in a big city. I spoke English. I spoke French, educated. So I had a job. But I started thinking like, oh my God, like when I just make enough money to pay the bills and eat, well, my dreams are not going to happen. <laughs> Travel's a little hard. Yeah, yeah. So around that time, I was still doing a postgraduate degree in translation and interpreting, Polish, English, Polish. Okay. And I started it just... I don't know. It was fun. And I wanted to deepen my English, not necessarily to become a translator or sworn translator or interpreter, but it's just something I wanted to do. And one of my friends there mentioned, we had a conversation and we probably went on a tangent about how much, how little money we make and how it's hard and so on. And she told me, you know what? You speak English, you speak French, and Canada has this great immigration program for mm -hmm. skilled workers. So it's structured. It's not like in the US when it's a lottery. It's actually a point system that you go on the website and you check if you have enough points to apply. And if you do, based on your whatever experience and education, knowledge of languages, you can apply to become a permanent resident. So that got me thinking. And my partner at a time had some family in Canada. Okay. So let, that, let me stop for a second. What yeah. made your friend share? How did, why did they know that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I actually don't know. It was so long ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of random. It was random. And maybe she was thinking about immigrating. Uh, okay. Maybe she was kind of going through her options and thinking so she about immigration. Done some research and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe she's done some research. I have no idea. And maybe she told me, I just don't remember. I just remember she telling me that and it was something that I haven't even considered before. That that was this like moment. Oh, yeah, I guess I could look into it. <laughs> and yet your partner had relatives in Canada. So there was yeah. actually even a better connection. Exactly. There. And then it turned out that, yeah, he had some relatives in Canada and we talked to them and, and they're based here in Toronto. And they were like, yeah, curious what you can actually accomplish if you work hard and you find jobs. And they were really welcoming in a sense that we were like, we don't have a lot of family here. So it would be great if you guys come, right? And, and yeah. have that connection. So they were willing to help us out in the beginning. So that, I guess, gave us enough confidence to even start the process to say, hey, like, we'll know somebody. We're not, because I've never been to North America before. 
I've never flew a plane before. So just even when I moved, that was my first plane, actually, when I moved to Canada. So that gave us, I guess, enough confidence to say, okay, go through the process and see what happens type of thing. And when you're young, you have no mortgage, no kids, nothing other than family, your roots and friends holding you. And then you have an opportunity to move legally because illegally, that's a whole different story, but legally to a country, then you're like, worst case scenario, you can always come back. So that was the thought process. So I applied as the main applicant because one person applies and then you can bring your family together. Yeah. So I apply as a main applicant and like a year and a half later, because, you know, bureaucracy takes time. Some people go through, it's like longer than that. But for me, it was like a year and a half. We received a permanent residency and then you have six months to move. They're like, great. Here's your card. You have six months. (laughs) You got to move. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they give you a a timeline. And once you're approved, you got to get over relatively quickly because six months is not that long really no it's not no it's not and you and it's in a sense you never know exactly when you will get it because like when i talk to some other immigrants some people it takes them three years some people two so yeah you know that most likely you will get it but you still live your life (laughs) you don't really have yeah but you don't know exactly when so it's kind of like you can't just say i'm going to quit my job and wait because yeah, you gotta. You still mm-hmm. got to eat. You still got to pay the bills yes. while you're there, and you yes. don't know how long it's going to take. Yeah. So, how many yeah. languages do you end up? Have you ended up collecting? <laughs> so fluently three: Polish, English, and French. Now, I did start learning Russian actually in primary school because that was mandatory under the communist regime. But you know, I still understand it a little bit because the spoken Russian is somewhat close. It's like Spanish and French. Once French, you can understand some similar roots to many yeah. of the words. Yeah. Yeah. So same. So I still understand a little bit, but I barely speak it. Reading is very different, right? It's a different sure. alphabet. And the same with German. I learned it a bit. I traveled to Germany a bunch of times. My father actually is fluent in German. So it's the same, but I can carry on the conversation. <laughs> it's just a little bit. Yeah. And again, you would probably be able to pick up more of it because you had it as a child if you needed to at this point, but it would be, but you're not using it every day. So you're definitely not going to. Yeah. Yeah. So is there a a fairly significant uh, Polish immigrant community in Canada or is it? Yeah, there is. And especially in Toronto, like I don't necessarily live in there. (laughs) There is a lot of Polish immigrants, but yeah, there is a significant population in there's a couple of areas in greater Toronto area where Polish immigrants are there. I always say like where there aren't Polish people. Polish people are <laughs> well, I, I live in South Texas. And so okay. actually, if you drive around in South Texas, you come across communities with rather yeah. interesting names. And more often than not, it's either they were Polish immigrants, Czech immigrants, yeah, or German yeah. immigrants. That yeah. The community. Yeah. So it's funny because even in Ontario, there's this little town, Warsaw, which is our capital city. So mm-hmm. I could go to Warsaw. <laughs> it's probably, just very yeah. small. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, I'm in te- again, I'm in Texas. And so we have Paris, we have Rome, we have, yeah. you can take an international trip and never yeah. leave the state. We have <laughs> that too. As long as yeah, you're creative, how you, <laughs> how you determine where you went. And again, one of my reasons for asking about the community is because, you know, in San Antonio, I'm close to San Antonio. I don't live in San Antonio, but I'm close to there. Mm -hmm. And there are several immigrant communities that Mm -hmm. have 
it just because it's, it does seem like if people legally immigrate, then it becomes oftentimes there's a, a significant community that grows mm-hmm. up around that, mm-hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. And there is in, in Canada too, definitely Polish people are, I guess, one of the, not the largest, but like sure. significant communities in bigger cities for sure. Sure. So there's, yeah, yeah not a, yeah. And again, that's part of that. When you do immigrate, do you have a community that you can plug into at some level becomes mm-hmm. important part of the consideration as well? Yeah. So yeah. You, you mentioned at the beginning, you remember growing up a little bit under the communist regime and probably yeah. that last generation that uh, yeah. that changeover. What was it like to live, grow up under under that kind of system? I have to say interesting. Now, of course, <laughs> I was a just child say, too. So I would just gotta, show, yeah, yeah, I was a child. So of course, I haven't experienced myself more of the oppression that was especially more present right after the world in the 50s and 60s. Or I didn't necessarily fear for my safety for speaking my truth or whatever. But I still remember some fun facts that now are funny, but maybe weren't so much so funny then, and especially for my parents. So for example, I'll just share a couple of stories. So for example, I still remember meat being rationed. So every family would get like a coupon in thing every month with certain amount of meat per family or per person that when you go to the store, they would like cut it out saying that you use that. And then on top of a, it, a it's not. Book. Yeah, and on top of it, it's not like those stores were full of meat. They were usually yeah. empty, and they would have just delivery sometimes. So I remember seeing or even like being in the line, like six a.m. in the morning, five a.m. The store opens at nine. People were already queuing, trying to get something for that ration because you mm-hmm. couldn't even get unless you had family who were farmers and who could deliver like a pig or whatever meat, or you had, you knew somebody who worked in the store. That was a great connection to right. have. It was very hard to <laughs> you get. You made friends with the butcher that worked. Yes. In the, yeah. yes. <laughs> it was very hard to get like decent pieces of meat that you could feed your family. So I have to say my mom was like a magician making great meals out of not so great meat quality. Mm-hmm. And so that's one. And then another one was coffee. That also wasn't something thing exported, right, from the West, like any fruits and so on that weren't homegrown and so on, which they were, were rare. But coffee was also rationed and they would give like one small pack per family member. So sometimes I would queue and pretend to be like my neighbor's kid <laughs> so that they can get more coffee. <laughs> because so you, you, you would figure even... out who in the neighborhood didn't drink coffee? Yeah, pretty much. Like people helped each other that way. Or sometimes you would buy, you had two of these and you didn't need it. And you and would you trade. trade with something because it wasn't like, okay, the next delivery of coffee, it would be right at the cusp of you running out of your first thing no like you would go without coffee for a while but so those that would, that would definitely some... cause me to look for a place to immigrate to <laughs> <I think. laughs> right? I'm, a of, I'm a bit of a coffee addict so <laughs> <laughs> but it's so fun fact so that's that will lead us to the third story so it actually wasn't that easy to immigrate because 
the communist regime didn't want people to get passports to travel to Western Europe or outside of the communist regime sphere because people would never come back, right? They would just stay. They would go to visit somebody and stay. And that was very hard. So we got actually like a passport to travel to Western Europe just because my aunt immigrated to France. That's how I learned French. And she married a French guy and we were going for her wedding. So I was little. So with my parents, my grandparents were driving. So I still remember when we were crossing the border, Eastern Germany to Western Germany, we got searched like crazy. That was actually one scary moment that remember we were asked to get out of the car. They pulled the back seats like they truly looked because people were smuggling people, right? Eastern Germans were trying to escape to Western Germany. So it was pretty intense, like the way they searched you. Do you happen to remember what year about that was? I don't, but it would have been like, I guess if I'm nine, okay, I'm going to reveal my date. (laughs) I was born in, (laughs) I was born in 1978. So I would have been like at least seven. So 86, so 85, 86, 86, 87, somewhere. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So before there. the wall had fallen, mm-hmm. yeah. before that was yeah. even a consideration, yeah. Uh, yeah. that wasn't even really on the roadmap or radar at that point. Yeah. But I guess there happen. were tensions because yeah. it didn't Big happen time. from year to year. So it was already must have been tensions no. that I don't remember. But yeah. Yeah. Mid 80s. And I'm old enough that I can remember, I can remember talking about it at school. <laughs> kind of thing and, mm-hmm. and re- seeing it in the news because mm-hmm. I would have been in high school a- at that point and there it was a lot of tension in yeah. Uh, in, yeah. in the east to west uh, around especially around Germany at that period yeah. so yeah that would yeah. have been that's why I was asking what years I was curious it's like if that was in the 80s <laughs> that was mm-hmm. probably yeah I can imagine that they really searched <laughs> your car because I can remember things like people people getting caught or shot or mm-hmm. I can remember mm-hmm. hearing stories yeah. of that yeah. Uh, yeah. in that yeah. time so yeah so now living in Canada and obviously you immigrated when you were mm-hmm. older than 11 but yes <laughs> you know both how did it change after the communist regime, what was the same and what was different? And then what's different now that you're in Canada? What was, I guess, the same, how it changed it quickly, like everything became available. But then Mm -hmm. Poland went into that spiral of high inflation, the currency went, lost a lot of its values. We went through like big reforms because a lot of stuff was owned by the state and it had to be privatized. And we were behind in our like, development. So there were some changes that definitely, you know, a lot of people felt hardship of that to get the economy on the right track, to be able to then join your opinion and down the line. But the again, like for me, the good thing was, yeah, everything was available. You could work and travel and say what you thought. And it was a democracy and all that. And the world opened for people. And it's funny, I was thinking about it not that long ago that under communist regime, everything felt gray because like even the clothes weren't good. Like you were like in this gray <laughs> period. Whereas once we entered more of a normal world, then the colors popped up and so on, if, if that makes any sense. And then coming to Canada, 
definitely a lot changed. I love Canada, even now, sorry, in Poland, like a lot of changed after European Union. We entered, sure. it definitely had a huge positive impact on Poland. But for me, I didn't live that because by then already I, I moved to Canada. There is a few things like I love Canada for its diversity and open-mindedness and really that acceptance. And yes, we're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. We have our own oh, no problems. Perfect. <laughs> Nobody, no country is perfect. But you truly feel welcome here no matter where you come from whether you have an accent or not, whether nobody cares. And it's funny because even I would go to France on a regular basis as a teenager and even through high school, worked a bit to get some money to buy my first computer, things like that. And I remember my aunt has been there and she's a nurse. So she had a private practice and help people and so on. And her French was fluent, but she had a bit of an accent. And people used to point it out in a mm. sense, and not in a curious sense, but in a sense like, oh, you don't belong here type of sense. And I picked up on it even as a child, whereas that in Canada doesn't really happen. If people ask, it's more of a curious, hey, we're from everywhere. So I just want to know where you're from. Where does that accent come from yeah, as opposed yeah. to why do you have an accent? Kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like you don't belong here. <laughs> Why are you? So I love that. And of course, much more developed country and the standard living is so much better. And in a way where, yeah, if you have a job or whatever, you start a business, you have that ability to realize your dreams, buy a house and travel and have a little bit more than just bills and food. Right. So. <laughs> right. And, and again, I think going back to the no country is perfect. I. I'm a firm believer in that almost everything, if there's a strength, there's a weakness. And if there's a weakness, there's a strength. Yeah, it, it's, agreed. There's agreed. no, no yeah. system of government, no country, no person, no organization. They're yeah. all human made and therefore they all have yes. <laughs> faults and, and yes. strengths and weaknesses. 100%. So to be clear, I'm not having this conversation and I know you aren't either to, to, to beat up on the communist regime or to mm -hmm. point out, but it is interesting how to hear that origin story and talking about what you do today and working as a, a coach and working with entrepreneurs and all mm -hmm. of this, how as a mom, as somebody, I know you worked in the corporate world for a while. Now you're an entrepreneur and have your own business. How do you kind of balance all of those roles and responsibilities and still perform at a level that you consider the level you should perform at, if that makes sense. Um, a lot of it is, so there's, you have different roles. So there's two things I want to touch on. So there's two things like, yes, you have a different roles, but the way I look at it is you're a leader anyways. So whether you lead your family, whether you lead your, yourself, like, you have a business, employees, and so on, you always start with you. So if you can lead yourself, and if you can grow yourself and manage your brain and all those things, you can lead other things. And when you come from that sort of self-concept, then it's not about balancing. It's, yeah, we all have different roles in our lives. We're wives and husbands and parents and aunts and whatever. We have different roles. But being able to 
being intentional in what you focus on in your life and then having tools and certain good habits, and I call them high-performance habits, that allow you to really live intentional life and not waste a bunch of time or things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things. If you think about 15 years from now, who cares about this or that, right? That you're not that you don't feel like the time is slipping through your fingers. Because I always say, you know what? Life is too short and it can change like this. Like living through the communist regime, it was horrible and people didn't think that they could ever live better. And then it changed, but it can go the other way too. You can have an amazing life and you never know it can change. Living to the fullest and being intentional, that's what allows me to do all those things that I want to do. And we'll talk some about some of those high performance habits, it it probably next week, but is, as you've talked about all of this, the feeling or the emotion that comes to mind is one of, of, of confidence of having a belief in yourself is confidence, something that you can teach to someone, or is it something they just have, or what, how do you look at, at confidence? I look at it as a skill and as a muscle. And that you can learn it and you can grow it and that it never actually like growing it never stops because you can be confident in one thing and not necessarily confident in the other thing. And the way I sometimes say it to my client is think about biking. You're confident in biking, you bike and so on. But then you want to learn snowboarding and you never snowboard it. You're not going to be confident in the beginning, right? And you're like, yeah, biking. I haven't done this before. I'm not confident. But what you can do is borrow the confidence from, hey, if I learned how to bike, I can probably figure out snowboarding. Yeah, maybe I need some lessons. Maybe I need somebody to help me. But with enough support and determination, I can do it. And then as you do it and as you become better, it's just that reinforcing circle where the confidence grows. And it's really a simple example, but that's how it works. And you can get there in anything you do or want to do in your life. So I truly believe confidence is built. It's a skill. And just like language, you got to practice it over and over because otherwise you can lose it. And for me, for example, when I came to Canada, I wasn't as confident because yes, I spoke English and I was advanced. Don't get me wrong. I was advanced. So that was a good thing for me, but I wasn't fluent. And by fluent, I I couldn't express my personality in it. I couldn't joke. I couldn't be me, fully me. And when you can't be fully you, your confidence goes down. Also being in a new country new even continent, everything is different. You feel uneasy, right? Like your foundation is a little bit, you ripped your foundation out of the country that you knew and the culture you knew, you're putting yourself there. And I wanted it and I was excited about it, but still that confidence was a bit wobbly. But then when I got my first job, the manager, the lady that hired me, she was confident enough to hire me. So sometimes borrowing confidence from somebody else, and I think Muhammad Ali talks about that too in in his story, that sometimes when you're not confident in yourself in the beginning, having just this one person who believes in you strong enough and borrowing their confidence in the beginning to say, hey, if they think I can do it, that must be it, 
or at least I don't want to disappoint them. So I would just keep going until you grow enough of it just by seeing the results of your work, whatever you're doing, to have it in you. So, yeah, that makes sense. And it's that idea of borrowing confidence, that idea of, does does belief in yourself come first or does others belief in you come first? And the answer is probably yes. So yeah, it's kind and of, sometimes it's, it's both. Because you know, yeah. I think a lot of times we try to look at, it's. I talk about the same thing with action and belief. Does action create belief or does belief create action? And the answer is yes. It's a feedback loop. It, yeah, it, exactly. It's a, it's a circle. Yeah. So you can start yeah. anywhere on the circle, depending yes. on your situation and what's going on. Yeah, exactly. 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 You can follow Maggie on Twitter as stairway underscore the number two, the numeral two. She's also on LinkedIn as Maggie Periton, spelled P-E-R-O-T-I-N. Of course, you can find out more about Maggie and her coaching over at stairwaytoleadership.com. Maggie, is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? I want to say, reach out. Let's have a conversation. I love to... If there is anything that spoke to you over the last four episodes that you just want to chat about, not even become my clients, just reach out. You can find me on all those social media or on my website, stairwaytoleadership.com. I would love to have a chat. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word, iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.